I don't want this to become like a mean podcast, but uh, Seth Abramson is really irritating me. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't worry about it getting too mean, particularly as it pertains to Seth Abramson. <laughs> I feel There's like probably he can no it. amount of low we can go. I mean, he's he is an expert litigator, so I, I feel like he can take it. He's uh, obviously has a strong courtroom presence, and he can withstand some criticism. I feel like. Well, he he just he, he pissed me off with this idea that uh, having practiced law for six years at the Nashua, New Hampshire pu- public defender, he can now sense crime like some sort of superhero, uh, and he knows when anyone's <laughs> lying, and he knows when people when when criminality is occurring. Uh, and quite honestly, uh, I found that somewhat offensive. I, I mean, I especially found it offensive that he comes at it from the perspective of a guy who spent his career in criminal defense. Right. And what he took away from it is a keen sense of the guilt of the, the criminals he was forced to spend time with. It's the worst superhero origin story ever. I worked in the Orange County Public Defense uh, DA's office and uh, as a... You know, clerkship and within two weeks it made me the like person that i am today and drove me to the public defender's office the very next semester i don't know how you can practice there for six years and come out and you know believe that you're gruff you know gruff the uh, crime dog or whatever but he's he accomplished it. <laughs> yeah no i mean the guilt or innocence of your client is entirely beside the point um you know it's not his job to figure out if they did it or not it's his job to defend them so you know I, again i just i got a little irritated so when friend of the show uh woke hoover uh was going in on him on twitter the other day uh i uh, had the occasion to take a look at his resume and noted that uh, among the very first accomplishments he cites is uh, the fact that he's got a verified account on Twitter. Certified account. Which he doesn't even. He says he's got a certified account. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like as if, as if he's got something on the wall that has like Latin phrases, Twitterum accountum. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I mean... The whole idea that he brags about being verified, which just sort of puts him up there with, like, baked Alaska. (laughs) Richard Spencer. Right. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's not even an accomplishment anymore. Well, didn't Milo threaten to... You haven't jumped through... Didn't he threaten to sue the uh, federal government, or so, or the, he was he was whining at a press conference about losing his uh, check mark at some point? So it's you know it's a vested right at this point. I mean you can, <laughs> Milo, yeah, Milo did try to establish a property right to your verification, right? Didn't he crash a White House press conference? He was in a he was at the White House, uh, you know, for a reporter or a journalist or whatever he might claim to be, something of a seminal moment in your career, and he chose to uh, raise his hand and ask if he could get his Twitter verification back from the president. (laughs) He also, he put that he was a judge for the Rhode Island, like the rest of these fellowships and honors are absolute bangers also. Like judge for the Rhode Island State Council on the Arts Fellowships. Wow. but that, but that's relevant. You know, that's the, that's really what irritates me. So the guy practiced law for six years in a very grueling and thankless uh, corner of the law, quite honestly, and he should be commended for that. Um, but then uh, did what we all have dreamed of in, when we've been litigating or doing whatever awful, you know, because this job is just not that exciting. Uh, went and got a PhD, got the dream job of teaching writing. Uh, to undergrads in bucolic New Hampshire, 
uh, and now wants to pretend like that's not his job. You know, that he's actually a professor of law. From what, uh, at a, he was holding himself out as a professor of law for a while. Now it's legal advocacy. But the fact is he's teaching writing to undergrads, which I would love to do and would be thrilled and honored to do. Uh, but yeah. unfortunately, he has to pretend to be, as, as Stefan said, McGruff, the crime dog. Yeah, yeah like everything, everything about his resume is, like, good objectively, but not good enough for him in his broken brain. And so he's got to, like, beef up everything, right? Like, he's a guy who went to the Iowa Writers Workshop and got a Ph.D. at Wisconsin, that should be good. It's amazing. You should be proud. And he can't leave it at right. that. Right? So he, I mean, he's got, like, his resume is, like, thicker than the tax code because he includes every blog post for HuffPo as, like, an independent article. He lists press contacts. This was one that killed me. He got... He was he was put in the shit account tournament because of course he was. Because uh, he has a bad and account. And so Luke O'Neill decided to write, you know, an article like seeing if he could get reactions from people in the shit account tournament. So he emails Seth Abramson and he's like, "What do you think about this?" And Seth Abramson writes back with like a one line reference to the Hitchhiker's Guide. Right, he just basically just writes back forty two, nerd. Uh, right, nerd. But but I got the reference, so I can't call him out. Uh, <laughs> it, so did and, James. And, right, but then on his on his CV, it lists the article that Luke eventually put in Playboy, even though Luke didn't quote right. him. He refused to answer the question, uh, and that right. made it on his. So list. his aunt. So his answer was dumb, and so he didn't include him. And when Luke called him out on Twitter, his response is to say, oh, well, I just thought it was a waste of my time, so I didn't give you anything you could use, but I got something I could use, which means he's bragging about explicit resume padding. Right. Right? And he, and he even fudged. The art, like, I don't know, maybe Luke ultimately titled it SAT 2017, but I got to figure Playboy is willing to run the word shit. I'm pretty sure that they, they, so, they did. I so checked. he just cut out the title because he couldn't, he couldn't put shit account tournament on his own resume. <laughs> so it just says SAT 2017. So he's bullshitting within bullshitting within bullshitting. It's like the layers go so deep. Shit account tournament is one of the only things I think that he's omitted from his resume except for that one uh, remix of uh, the Elliot Rogers letter oh my God. that he made into poetry. Yes. You can find that anywhere. <laughs> That's how he snagged the writing job. Hey, 
Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode three of Mike Dicta, America's best-named legal podcast. I am your host, Charles Starr. We've got another cast of five from all around the country today to discuss various topics in the news. Uh, from the District of Columbia, we've got uh, Adam, whose Twitter handle I am not going to pronounce. Hey, folks. It's Adam. Um, I am at Ale Le Boulet, or Go Bullets. There you go. That's why I won't pronounce it. Uh because it's French. Uh, from Cheyenne, Wyoming, uh, James, I want to say hello. Uh, hey, folks. James at jamlarock on twitter.com, which is a website based out of San Francisco, California, as I learned this week. <laughs> uh, from near-ish to San Francisco, California and Long Beach, we've got uh, Stefan. We're actually closer to L.A. San Fr- I know. <laughs> <laughs> That, but you're closer to San Francisco than I am in Brooklyn. This is true. We're, we're doing relative geography. Now just say hello. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> and potentially, if his mic is working from here in Brooklyn with me, is the hell dude, Tarek. Hello, everyone. The, the first topic we're going to take on today is uh, Jeff Sessions winding back uh, some of Obama's guidance in... Uh, the war on drugs. If people recall, uh, Holder and Obama had basically given something of a stand down order to U.S. attorneys around the country uh, in jurisdictions that had started legalizing weed like Colorado and uh, California's broad medical marijuana statute. And Jeff Sessions didn't it, it's a kind of a weird order because he didn't tell his U.S. attorneys explicitly to go after uh, marijuana in their states, but he did kind of say, "Use your own judgment," right? Like, so he kind of took the shackles off any you any U.S. attorney who wants to spend his own department's resources going after what would otherwise be locally legal marijuana. And so there's a lot going on there. I'm going to open the floor first to Stefan because he is the weed lawyer. Uh, has, has there been any fallout for you in California yet? No. In fact, I think that the in – a, in a weird way, this is only you – know, there are very few pe- people who would want to – okay – Sessions and his, and is so distasteful politically that it's really enabled uh, a lot of California legislature legislators who would be on the fence about this or who might you know feel just a little uncomfortable going to bat for you know essentially drug dealing industry if they want to, uh, but because Ta- Trump and Sessions have been so distasteful in the way that they dove this as well as everything else. They, this is just one more issue that, especially in California, uh, people can line up behind and experience no political fallout whatsoever. So we've already seen statements from Gavin Newsom, uh, Javier Baquera, our own attorney general, which is very helpful, as well as our senator, uh, Camilla Harris. And, you know, it's prompting calls for legislation. You know, it, they, they're akin to our, our, stand, our sanctuary state immigration orders. So it's, if anything, it's only further united the state behind you know, this antagonism from the federal government. But th- that that's cool, though. It's all those are all state people. Are you getting like I know in Colorado, the U.S. attorney for the District of Colorado 
basically told everyone, don't worry about it. This is not a priority for me. Like after one of the local, I don't remember which one, but one of the Colorado congressmen who says that he got uh, assurance from Sessions when he interviewed him before his confirmation hearing that he wouldn't change anything about marijuana, went sort of apeshit on the floor of Congress about how he was going to block other DOJ activity if Sessions didn't walk that back. And then the and then the U.S. attorney for the District of Colorado basically said, I ah, don't worry about it. I'm not going to do anything well, about Well, what's dangerous, though, is that they're, the Trump administration has lined up a brand new crop of U.S. attorneys to take over for people who are retiring in jurisdictions that have legal marijuana. I believe uh, Massachusetts has already indicated that they could be facing a crackdown, you know. And so, there again, this is kind of an interlocking federalism issue as well because, uh, you know, let's say tomorrow if, you know, the, the U.S. attorneys in, in California, for whatever reason, started to decide to crack down on what is explicitly now um, what we call adult use, but, you know, I think what most people would commonly know is like a recreational uh, if they crack down before we started rolling out, you know, the official, uh, you know, local supply chain for it, it's actually be pretty easy just to be able to convert the and uh, from a state level what would be a you know adult use recreational into purely you know a the medicinal label and then come under the protection of the Warbacker Far Amendment, which is still in place and is being renewed every uh, every time the continuing resolution comes up, and I think even. Um, Governor Hickenlooper in Colorado indicated that he was going to be doing the same thing. Where this is going to be most problematic and where I think consumers and attorneys are really going to be seeing the most action is going to be on the East Coast. Because uh, in those cases, the state governments were so apprehensive to uh, uh, popular movements to legalize that they never really matured as uh, markets and had the, you know, what is in reality, the biggest protective, uh, protection of all, which is corporatization and explicit type in uh, explicit licensing, um, where people were investing money and could have could frankly, you know, seek damages against uh, the federal government, perhaps if it's, uh, if there was a a larger intervention. Uh, because of that, places like Pennsylvania, uh, New Jersey. Uh, oh, actually, no, New Jersey doesn't have anything. Pennsylvania and New York, especially, um, you know. There's a there's a pretty wide open field, unfortunately, for going uh, going after uh, uh, their nascent markets. And you really is going to you're I would you know if in, the people in those in those areas are really going to depend on their own state actors to act as a shield against federal intervention. So, yeah, I mean, to me, um, I think that it, a lot of the sort of animus behind this um, or the 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 motivation behind this is is sort of a signal to uh, Trump's base, right? Like for one of the earliest groups that really came out in support of Trump um, early in the campaign were policemen's unions. And, you know, he had been one of the most um, sort of pro, um, you know, law and order uh, candidates in a long time. We um, love so, our cops. Yes. <laughs> so so it, it's, it seems like... Um, also basically just a signal to, to um, you know, state law enforcement and to police officers basically just to go weapons free on, on you know, people of color. Yeah, I mean, though it, though it really is an interesting uh, take on who his supporters are, I mean, to the extent that he was being supported by um, 
the kind of alt-righty libertarians as opposed to sort of other... I mean, I don't know if everyone probably remembers the Brooklyn juggler definition of a libertarian, yeah. which was a pothead who is racist. <laughs> um, well, um, like, what the, the, like the, all of the, the... I don't think there's much of, of a the, political constituency behind what this is. This is actually kind of a... There's a group that's been mentioned a lot in here, and it's been promoted into the kind of mainstream discussion about, you know, or just, I think, mainly just because press is looking for any soundbite for in the who is in support of this and it's a group called smart approaches to marijuana and it's smart and david frum's actually involved with it you know so and what a patrick, piece of shit that's worse than the so Iraq already war. skeptical and patrick kennedy and um you know they have this one quack up there named uh, kevin sabit who goes up there and he's yeah yeah you know he was the one who he and this is linked into like a larger issue with drug policy. You know, we don't have a comprehensive solution to it. We only beefed up the the militarization aspect of it. So what's left in terms of addiction sciences and what's you know, and this is very serious when it comes to things like we're talking about alternative punishments for for drug users of any sort. Um, it's based on quack science that has that's been uh, with no sort of evidence based or you know a real accountability. And these groups are mixed in with it. So the idea of legalizing another substance and, you know, perhaps in some cases creating an alternative for people who, you know, are seeking, who don't want to be, you know, don't want to take opiates for pain management or don't want to consume alcohol for recreational purposes. Uh, that kind of, again, I've, yeah, sorry. Stefan, you lost me a little. What smart is doing oh. what? They're, they're advocating what? Legalizing marijuana more broadly or like introducing like market solutions it, that are not marijuana to step in for marijuana that's pretty much it they don't want the they like the stasis where it is in terms of the the substances that are on the market in terms of where people are going to be and then the the bright line rules about uh about what people can consume and when they're going to end up in in in, ju in the judicial system or anything like that Marijuana complicates it, especially when you start using labels like medicinal, you know, because then it's seen as it, it's seen as akin to prescription medication. And then we have to get into the, you know, uh, uh, you know, whether or not the, the you know, we the this broad. I'm sorry. Like FDA regulation once you turn it into medicine. Exactly. You know, it's a. Uh, it doesn't fit well as a drug in terms of a lot in terms of uh, where the where these folks are politically at the moment, and but it's really weird to define them as a constituency because they even the real I mean uh, it's a they're not strictly within the religious right. It's a lot of uh, again addiction specialists over the last generation or so, and then a lot of you know very racist people like Jeff Sessions. And that's pretty much it. That's it. That's what's holding up the, uh, and I guess it federalism as well, because if you look at what Breitbart, for example, is covering it, it's a lot of, for it's a lot of people who for a generation ago, we're talking about states' rights have now gone fully on board with the idea of upholding the letter of the law. And that's it. The letter of the law at the federal level. Exactly. It's a respect for, uh, for, uh, it's a respect for federal, for that sort of, sort of very narrow federalism. What's weird about, what's interesting about some of the, you mentioned some of the libertarian arguments behind it. Uh, the 10th Amendment, where a lot of the, the current states' right, rights people are, you, were, 
used for defending uh, our right to be able to pretty much blatantly violate the, um, uh, what is it, the Controlled Substance Act. They really would actually like a chance to go at, to get a second chance at Rach, at uh, Gonzalez versus Rach, and overturn it, because then a whole whole host of other uh, uh, related interstate commerce issues would be undone. And, you know, thus the legalization of marijuana would be a pathway for uh, perhaps ending things like child labor laws at the federal level or food safety to, laws. To back up a little for people unfamiliar with Gonzalez v. Rage, Gonzalez v. Rage was the Supreme Court case uh, that essentially people thought might be a sort of conservative solution to allowing state level marijuana by sort of treating it as a state's rights issue as to whether they could legalize it or not, uh, which the federal government opposed because they had laws making uh, marijuana broadly illegal as a matter of federal law. And uh, surprising uh, people who pretended that Scalia had integrity and not surprising people who knew that Scalia would come down on the side of drug warriors. Uh, he did not uphold the Federalist principles and essentially considered the drug market a national market that allowed the federal government to restrict even intrastate uh, marijuana growing and sales, you know, uh, that kind of kept the states from governing their own internal state commerce, even in marijuana. Which, uh, not to get too law school nerd, but like this was like right out. I mean, there was a series of decisions in the 90s where the Supreme Court was taking a look at the Commerce Clause and, and, and signaling that it was going to trim back some of Congress's very broad legislative authority. Uh, cases about the Violence Against Women Act, guns, gun-free school zones, uh, things like that, uh, where the, the principled conservatives were making principled decisions about capital S states, capital R rights. Uh, and, and they were going to roll back this like precedent for basically that had been the case for 50 years where Congress can more or less do whatever it wants because we need a legislature that can do things. And so 2003, the Gonzalez v. Rich case was really an opportunity for these for, for Scalia to prove that he really did care about states' rights and federalism and, and continue. And because, I mean, as Charles said, because it was a drug war issue uh, and he didn't have principles and he was a piece of shit, uh, he went the other way on it. But we'll have more yeah, to say I mean, about Scalia later. I mean, it's funny because the case that the case that Gonzalez v. Reich ended up based on was one of the cases, like it's sort of this old 1800s case called Wickard v. Filburn that the Federalists despise because they were like, they were basically like quotas on growing crop, agricultural quotas, uh, across the country and one guy who was growing wheat for his own consumption ended up subject to the quotas and he argued that he shouldn't be because it's not a federal issue because he was just growing it on his land and consuming it locally and it never crossed the state lines and because it never crossed the state lines it wasn't a federal issue and the the rule from Wickard v. Filburn was Look, even the stuff you grow on your own land, if you don't sell it across state lines, it still affects the national market because by not buying wheat 
yourself because you've grown it yourself. You've affected the market as a whole. And so you're still subject to federal law. And that like that's been kind of something that has bothered Federalists for for over 100 years. And from a functional level, that's what the Cole memo was designed to address. Um, that was the, the, the Cole memo in 2013, you know, kind of was it the legal argument, the legal, uh, kind of the, 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 the best, le- the best decision and the best legal guidance for, uh, even people, you know, shaping legislation at the state at the local level for seeing like what, where would, what the, what would the federal government truly decide was going to be the extent of interstate commerce. And one of the, you know, guiding principles within it that really shaped where, you know, you know the, the the modern do's and don'ts of marijuana law is you know absolutely no form of interstate commerce obviously and so that would mean no banking as well as not just the the ability not to be able to take you know your cannabis from one state to another you know the very obvious form of interstate commerce it's very illegal don't do it exactly <laughs> so you know <laughs> but just gener- you know geographically what that did was you know make it so that you know that the places that were already kind of had a large burgeoning uh, uh, agricultural as- uh, uh, history with cannabis um, were the first to legalize and kind of push the envelope in terms of what the uh, federal government in the Obama era was going to be a- was going to be pursuing I mean, I think if you want to look at if we if we're really from the advice of lawyers that I've that, that are looking who you know came into this long before I did in 2014, um, we're really just kind of returning to the second Bush administration, you know, uh, effectively where this is going to encourage fishing expeditions by U.S. attorneys, you know, uh, looking to be able to establish like, aha, you have engaged in interstate commerce, you haven't, you know, there is our federal jurisdiction. You have done something that would kind of provide for the ability for the feds to come in and uh, prove that, you know, state level regulation is impossible. I mean, but well, at least that, though, sounds like normal federal jurisdiction. I guess I'm more worried that it would revert to an older time where they didn't where they were they were going more to like Wickard v. Filburn. Well, they can be literal about it. They can say they, you can't even use the highways, you know, and that would cripple the a modern supply chain looking to be able to uh, bring, uh, uh, you know, ag- a very fragile agricultural commodity from a growing area to a retail area as dense as Los Angeles. If you can't use highways, if you can't use any of the streams of commerce that are connected to you know, federal funding, you know, that it, they could, I think what Sessions is doing here is being, is taking a, you know, for once in his very storied career of being terrible as a, as a uh, litigator, he's actually taking a very, using the extent of his procedural power to be able to, to destabilize the industry. Because if you looked at this, he started at the beginning of the year hosting uh, talks with a broad range of people from legal states really and, and stacking the deck with members of law enforcement hoping to be able to get the the you know, the justification that he would need to be able to fully recommend uh you know the destabilization the a, a full you know federal intervention and in the non-renewal especially of the Rohrabacher Farr amendment but he wasn't able to do that just because he wasn't a, they didn't provide them the evidence that he wanted hold on hold on what is Rohrabacher what is the Rohrabacher Farr so Rohrabacher Farr amendment is the a section of the spending bill that accomplishes the same that would was the the landmark achievement in in marijuana lobbying, where the industry association uh, used you know Dana Rohrabacher, the worst person in Congress, um, 
just a very, you know, not somebody that you want to be associated with, but he has been our champion for the last couple of decades. And what it does is it stops the federal government from spending, from using any of its spending authority to intervene in uh, the medical side of the business. So it, that's our, that's our secondary shield. You know, I mean, speaking speaking of that, like there there are different states that are sort of treating marijuana differently. Like, the, I guess California has has California moved from uh, medical only to to recreational. Also, like I know Colorado allows recreational use. I mean, if they allow recreational, then I guess it doesn't matter as much. But I always felt like a weakness in the California system uh, when it was all medical marijuana was how transparently fake the medical marijuana system was. Like, I mean, it seemed like everyone was, like, like everyone had a doctor who would prescribe them uh, marijuana for psychosomatic symptoms. It was like that in Colorado, <laughs> too, before we got they got recreational. Exactly. This is actually a common thing. The first thing that you – it was a very intentional movement by, uh, the, by the normal and the rest of the kind of legal minds behind legal marijuana that the first thing you want to do is get people to feel comfortable buying in a semi-regulated market. So what you do is you introduce in places especially that have direct democracy and the ability to be at the state level, you know, the ability to put propositions on – you put on something that's broadly worded and really acts as a, you know, mainly as a uh, legal shield and a, de- you know, advanced decriminalization, if you want to think about it, for commercial uh, providers of cannabis and i.e. drug dealers. So what it is, it's a lot, you know, in California for the longest time, you know, and we were the first to do this, is it's a limited immunity defense. And we stretch that limited immunity defense, the idea that, you know, if you're abiding by some sort of general uh, uh principles that you know you would not be you would be the least prioritized for criminal prosecution you know that sort of idea but um we took that and we created an entire multi-billion dollar industry behind it and you know and if you want to talk about the fakeness of it that's what it really is you know we've been you know supposedly a non-profit model i guess that's what always that's what always worried me about we fixed it, right? It. it it always felt it always felt like not to me, but it seems like the kind of thing that will especially grate on someone like Sessions is that like he's already predisposed to hating it and the kind of the sort of Potemkin village of you know the medical cover for what is essentially just legalizing marijuana in California is exactly the kind of thing that makes it easier for him to argue that sort of medicalization is just a sham in the first place. Well, that makes his timing for this really just crappy on his part because he did it the day, a couple of days after a fully, you know, to borrow Star Wars terminology there, you know, a fully formed and functional uh, regulatory system from top to bottom at the state level had not only just been, in, you know, enacted and proposed, it was functional. It was being, it had already been rolled out. It was in its second day when he, when the Cole memo was rescinded. So at that point, the the fakeness, you know, if you want to talk about it, or the, you know, the the very stretching of the the of the legal definition to its, you know, absurdity, that had all been more or less re- that's been that that's scheduled for being removed entirely from the uh, from what you know California for the overt cannabis market's going to look like, you know, we and and that's not to say that it's necessarily for the best because what that happens is the pro- the professionalization and the capitalization 
that means that the you know the the lump and proliate there the folks who have been doing this and you know really have been have, were doing it when it was a not even not even a gray market but a you know a very criminalized market they're now excluded entirely from this but with corporatization means you know a lot more folks who are you know invested in it and therefore have those potentially vested rights for uh for suing you know if if major interventions happen let the record reflect that no one podcast has a monopoly on mispronunciations yes as we just got <laughs> lumpen proiet out of lumpen proletariat and that is a real innovation i just want to i just want to let the, let the record show that please well, the, the legalization and professionalization um, and uh, corporatization is, 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 I think that's an interesting um, sort of connection to this because um, to me, like I can envision um, a sort of legalization scenario in the United States where we go about it in such like a half-assed and racist way that we basically push out everybody who was already in the market and selling when it was criminalized um, and this new sort of corporate professional market is basically sort of just divvied up to, to you know the wealthy and the and folks with connections oh I don't I mean I don't people have been worried about that I think for a really long time I don't remember who it was uh, one of the big uh, one of the big tobacco companies, R.J. Reynolds, maybe I don't remember, but one of them I think tried to copyright or trademark Marley, like twenty years ago, which everyone saw as like a way to brand their, you know, you know, mass-produced uh, joints, commercial mass-produced marijuana <laughs> cigarettes. You know, in it, like when they sort of saw the writing on the wall for legalization, and I think people went kind of nuts when they saw it. Both because I think a lot of people weren't ready for the uh, for the idea of legal marijuana on one side, and on the other side, the idea of some huge corporate entity claiming the mantle of Bob Marley uh, to just stick on a you know cigarette box and we're and from a from a regulatory level we're at a weird portion too because if you look at it you know the the rules regarding alcohol are you know falling apart and the last we've gone from complete prohibition in the in the 20s to the point now where there's bubblegum flavored alcohol that explicitly i think kind of appeals to children and nobody really seems to be objecting to it as long as you know that steadfast rule about 21 is still there meanwhile cigarette regulations have gone after the 1994 or 1995 master settlement agreement are very very strict i mean they can't advertise their their advertisement is done by centimeters you know uh in terms of how far away it is from particular areas in the 7-eleven now you know and they can't sponsor any you know a anybody publicly that might be seen as appealing to children and they're even their taxes because we've been a very effective at taxing uh tobacco now to the point where smoking is at it's is gone down you know but so marijuana, from a regulatory standpoint, if we do, you know, somehow make it past, you know, the immediate problems with sessions, where are we going to be regulated? Are we going to be, you know, uh, treated as a as a drug and something that would be regulated akin to the FDA? Or are we going to be uh, uh, 
treated as this kind of hybrid of alcohol and tobacco. You know, I think it, the, the big questions are really going to be, you know, if again, if we can survive the, the immediate sessions issue and frankly, if we can inject those tax dollars into uh, local and state coffers, because that's when we get defenses from from those folks <laughs> well of course i can't talk about marijuana because in wyoming it's a misdemeanor to be high so like it's pretty serious <laughs> i'm not joking about that they apparently they got so mad about not being able to charge people with possession they made it a crime to be high uh i don't know yeah that's pretty impressive that's like a saudi arabia level of hostility where 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 in saudi arabia your uh detection in the blood is considered possession so if you smoke before you take off Ooh. and then you're just sort of going through the Dubai airport, you can be charged with possession for like a seed stuck to your shoe, which happened. Uh, or if they find it in your bloodstream, if you're being processed for something else, you'll be charged with possession. It's pretty insane. Well, I'm in, I'm in, uh, in, in, in D.C. Uh, after they eventually figured out a way around... Um, Congressman Andy Harris trying to block implementation of, of legalization, um, it became legal to uh, possess a recreational amount, um, legal to use, um, but not legal to sell. So we have now an array of Prop 71 compliant businesses uh, where you can buy wonderful things like uh, muffins or art prints. Um, and they will come along with a gift. <laughs> that's amazing. That, that's a classic Final Four ticket scalping scheme. People would post on Craigslist. They would be like, for sale, Final Four official t-shirt comes with four free tickets, $1,000. <laughs> I do want to clarify we do. We will let you use CBD oil to treat seizures, um, but there's no way to get the CBD oil, and so that's the. But you, we won't. If we come in your house and find that you have CBD oil, we might ask how you found it, but it's not against the law. So the only person who can use it is Kurt Eichen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was part of an oil-only thing. So like. Well, Texas and a couple other states have that, and it's a. I, I think it was it, that was actually kind of th that there was based off of people watching a YouTube video. I mean, that's really what turned the the legislators into supporting it. Not kidding. I I believe what, you. How good was this video? Was this like loose change for a cannabis oil? I mean, yeah, it was a little girl getting receiving cannabis oil and stopping some sort of with a, a really kind of violent seizures. And so people were just sharing it, and over the week, I mean, it was it was seriously like a couple of months. You started seeing these really conservative states pass incredibly restrictive and, like you said, practically non-working oil-only laws. That's pretty great. And while it does sound like a medical miracle, I also picture all of Wyoming pretending to have seizures now, like an entire an entire plains of shaking cowboys. Somebody told him that. They wanted to, uh, it, it was the next colloidal silver, and they wanted to get in on the ground floor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I, we're so, like every state around Wyoming either has medical or recreational. Even Montana and South Dakota have medical 
Um, so why, we really are a holdout. And there's only like two representatives in our 90-person legislature that even care about this. Uh, there's two that try and introduce a medical marijuana bill, and it doesn't even get out of committee. So we are, we are here. We are absolutely straight edge. Uh, stay away. <laughs> that is, that's amazing. I would have expected the sort of independent spirit of the West to be uh, a little more free spirited about that, but not at all. Not was at Wyoming all. one of those states that sued? Uh, that sued over what? They that sued specifically because they were surrounded by legal states and said that you know we're you're essentially causing us to be able to spend more on enforcement because we're we're receiving into you're you're crossing state lines and coming into us and I think it was Nebraska, Nebraska and Oklahoma. I think yeah, Nebraska sued Colorado. Nebraska and Oklahoma v. Colorado, and then Nebraska passed medical. So <laughs> what the fuck are you complaining about? Second topic, uh, we're going to move on uh, from from uh, marijuana to a guy who could probably stand to calm down a little. Uh, Paul Manafort still under indictment <laughs> for uh, for crimes against the United States uh, has decided uh, that he wants to end run uh, his own prosecution. Uh, he is, I believe, he was charged in uh, the Eastern District of New York. It may have been the Southern District of New York, but he does have a brownstone in Brooklyn. Uh, but he was charged in he was charged in New York. Uh, but he has sued uh, the federal government and the Department of Justice and the Special Counsel Robert Mueller in the District of the District of Columbia, arguing that his entire uh, prosecution is an overstepping of the DOJ's jurisdiction and the entire thing should just be dismissed uh, I do not know why he didn't file this motion in New York uh, he certainly could have he certainly could have filed it before the judge where he's being tried he did not he uh, using the Administrative Procedure Act he is suing in DC uh, asking them to f- to essentially enjoin a different district attorney's office, a U.S. attorney's office, from prosecuting him for all of his crimes. Has everyone read the complaint? Has anyone read the complaint? Look, he's the poster boy for small government now. Um, you know, we've had executive <laughs> overreach for so long, um, and someone has to rein in the out-of-control DOJ. Yeah. What a baller it's, move. What it, a big dick baller move. <laughs> just you're being sued you're 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 being you've been arrested you're being charged with a crime criminally prosecuted arrested. criminally prosecuted oh. and you decide to sue in a different state and be like you got to tell this fucking prosecutor he can't sue me he is it's who's the defendant now <laughs> that's right that's, that is right you are the defendant <laughs> robert mueller how do you like it 
in all in oligarchic Ukraine, uh, defendant sues you, as they say. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what a country! What a country! <laughs> Not so much fun when well, the rabbits got the gun, huh, Robert Mueller? <laughs> So, so, so he 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 has brought a suit against the government uh, under the Administrative Procedure Act. Um, I, uh, from what I understand, claiming that Mueller has overstepped his express authority and that the special counsel laws uh, over time have kind of been contracted such that uh, you need specific authority to investigate this or that. But from from what I can tell, the 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 gravamen of his argument here is that. Um, he's suggesting or has the belief that uh, Mueller didn't get permission to go down certain roads ahead of time, but maybe rather yeah, got them I mean, afterwards. Gravamen. I mean, he give, he gives a long procedural history, right? He starts with the independent counsel law, right? And he's like, the independent counsel law, everyone hated it. Everyone hated it. And even though the Supreme Court upheld it, it Congress let it expire because it was garbage. And... So then the DOJ just created internal regulations, which kind of replicated the independent counsel law. And those regulations basically said that if there is a conflict of interest, you can appoint a special counsel, but you have to give them specific instructions. And when this special counsel, when Mueller was assigned, he wasn't given specific instructions like he was. He was given specific instructions to focus on Russian interference in the election connected to the Trump campaign. But then the authorization also included a sort of really broad general clause. Um, let me see if I could find it. You're going to hear some rifling paper here because I didn't mark this up. Uh, oh, boy. Uh, the appointment order was... Yeah, I do just want to say, uh, if if this, I mean, you said gravamen in the middle there, and I love the word gravamen because it just means that like the core or like the real the real issue or like what's the baseline problem here. Yeah. yeah, and so like we're lawyers, so we came up with an uh, obscuring way to say the clear issue in this case, uh, which is great yeah. to me. The 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 sort of lay read that I think I thought made the most sense was um Manafort is essentially saying that um you know because he spoke with these FBI agents and they found all these you know documents saying like forward forward regarding doing crimes you want to do crimes but they weren't like in a folder labeled uh Trump Russia connection that anything regarding that should be thrown out yeah that's exactly right right Right. I, oh, the, I found the I found the broadening clause. It says that he can investigate basically anything he comes across. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he just has right? to like it check back can, in, right? He just has to be like, hey, by the way. Well, but, uh, and, and, and Rosenstein said uh, from the DOJ, he said that they've been in constant contact. They've been talking about it. And in fact, once he hit upon these particular strands, um, he was given uh, full authority to go down that road. But I think you know, Man Manafort is trying to hit upon this highly technical argument that um, unless unless clearly before you hit upon any of these issues, uh, you've been given the uh, permission to hit upon these issues, uh, you cannot prosecute me uh, criminally for it. That's a great thing from yeah. a criminal defense standpoint, because I'd love to have that for some of my, you know, like we DUI cases where it's like, look, you might have pulled me over because I was weaving back and forth on the highway 
but you can't look under the seat for any <laughs> yeah, reason. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's it. He try. He tried. It's it's interesting as a technical argument where I. But he doesn't even seem to say what you'd think he would say, right? The argument is the special counsel authorization said Trump Russia stuff and anything you came across. And even if that's not okay, you would think the belt and suspenders of the fact that he asked Rosenstein and Rosenstein gave him the go ahead would have been enough. I mean, someone pointed out uh, that Neil Katyal, who I think was uh, one of Obama's Solicitor Generals. Um, what? Acting. Oh, was he only? Was he one of the acting because he couldn't get appointed? Um, he said that, like, if you read the guidance on the special counsel statute, it allows you to sort of do this to anyone, even if it's just to sort of strong arm them into testifying against someone else. Like, you can just. And anywhere that it's ambiguous, you can just ask the attorney general for permission. And so, like, it seems like they've got all of their ducks in a row here. And it's almost like all he really wants is to get it in front of a judge who's going to declare the special counsel statute unconstitutional, you know, and that and or or maybe declare that any special counsel authorization is not uh, divisible. Mm. Right. Like if. If it's void from the beginning because part of the jurisdiction of the special counsel was improper, then you can't end run that by getting authorization later, right? The public, like the the mandate, has to be clear, and uh, it, <laughs> the mandate had to be clear and uh, and and constitutional at the time it was issued or else none of it counts but i don't think he's going to get his wish there i don't even know if a judge in the D district of the district of columbia is going to even accept jurisdiction in the case or if he's just going to sort of abstain while the criminal charges are pending in a sister circuit yeah i mean it's generally it yeah you're not supposed to file more, have more than one case open about the same thing uh, so, like, it that's not, it, you know, it happens, but, like, you fucked up somewhere if that happened. So, I, I would be surprised if the judge in uh, District of D.C. let this go the whole way. But it would be really funny. Uh, but we're not hard up for content, so I hope he doesn't. Nah, we, well, we, we need to credit Kept Simple for the idea that 2018 is the year of suing your haters. Um, and this appears to be uh, in keeping with the general theme of the Trump uh, folks uh, that uh, no good lawsuit should go uh, unfiled. haters trump is suing his haters he just just today announced michael cohen is suing buzzfeed more suing their haters over the fact that they published the dossier um and i think the one we really want to talk about today uh the guy who's suing his haters the most 
is the crying Nazi Chris Cantwell pursuing <laughs> all of his haters. That is uh, the smoothest transition that has ever happened on Mike Dicta. Until right now. <laughs> oh, I'm, sure how to put, uh, I'm not even sure how to put the uh, musical break in now. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> just put the musical break over me. I'll just hum along with it. <laughs> so, so Chris Cantwell is suing uh, because he says he was arrested because a bunch of Antifa made up a bunch of bullshit about the Charlottesville rally. Even though uh, a guy was wearing his glasses, the glasses are the most important part of a complaint ever. Uh, does someone else want to give the background? Yeah, here? so 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 this 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 is the farce that comes out of the tragedy of uh, Charlotte. Unlike the last episode where we had a uh, a tragedy that came out of a farce. Um, uh, it, Chris Cantwell was famous for kind of being part of that Vice documentary, uh, talking a lot of shit about how he was uh, uh, a very bad and mean Nazi. Um, after after that whole shit show went down, uh, he was uh, you know sought by the police and later arrested, um, turned himself in, I believe. Uh, he was held uh, without bond for I believe 107 days. Uh, and as part of his uh, uh, attempt to get back at folks, uh, he has sued two individuals, I believe it is, uh, who, is who he has identified collectively as ca- all caps Antifa uh, civilly uh, in federal court under diversity jurisdiction for making certain false statements that led to that uh, imprisonment and, and detainment. Um, and it's, so it's essentially a tort case, but it's being brought into federal court in, in Virginia. Yes, right. he identifies one of them as a media relations assistant to Antifa. <laughs> <laughs> he also sounds like uh, a great job. Yeah, it is a great job. Uh, it's what, <laughs> technically, technically, everyone taking the Soros money is. Uh, P- I mean, that's just it's not really that great a resume line because we're all PR for Antifa. Uh, the other, nor- <laughs> the other notable thing. I mean, there's a. I think we're going to get into the complaint that he filed. We're going to tear it up a little bit. But the first thing you should know is that his lawyer. Uh, yes you just gotta like do yourself a favor and google elmer woodard and just look at images the first image is just this iconic him in like a like a like a like like a child's revolutionary war outfit and he just walks (laughs) around and it's just right he's got the powdered wig or oh yeah it's ben it's ben franklin cosplay isn't it i mean yeah oh my god yeah yeah google his office too his office is my favorite yeah, okay. It's, it's like a, right a one-room schoolhouse on a dirt road in rural Virginia. Yeah, after yeah. you look up Elmer Woodard, look up Elmer Woodard office and the first result is like, yeah, it looks like an like an 18th century prison. No, it's a shack <laughs> in the middle of a giant parking lot from what I can tell. <laughs> it's literally that my dream office. That's where I want to retire. I yeah, I was looking like I need I need about that much space to live in, like honestly. Just any It's a tiny house. My bed and PlayStation. Yeah. Elmer it's a tiny house. Tiny, tiny house, house for law. Yeah, so so that is the guy who wrote this complaint, and it is uh, characteristically uh, just batshit. It has like like old eighteenth century spellings of things. It's it's completely. It's it's can just somebody, a joy to read. Can somebody do a dramatic reading of the first paragraph? Right. Oh, I don't have it in front of me. I have it in front this of me. This action seeks relief for the malicious prosecution of the plaintiff by the defendants and relief for their deprivation on his civil rights. 
nature of the action on and so if there is anything omitted <laughs> that's elmer not it's me yeah. sick, sick. There's this every other is word just... is included it's wonderful <laughs> on humid and windless night <laughs> of august 11th 2017 diverse spelled with no e groups and individuals here and after the monumentals <laughs> participated that is just so you know monumentals is uh Monumentals is Nazi code for people who do not want uh, Confederate statues removed. It's... Participated in a political on public property. <laughs> God. It, uh, it goes on. Uh, they were met by a small group of revolutionary communists, socialists, and or anarchists <laughs> here and after. Antifa, in all caps. Antifa was also exercising rights guaranteed by the First Amendment to the United States Constitution and the Constitution of Virginia. As is their pattern and practice, Antifas attacked the monumentals. (laughs) Just, like, we all saw the the fucking videos of Charlottesville. We saw, like, we... Everyone had their phones out. Everyone was fucking uh, periscoping that shit. We all it, saw it what noted, happened. <laughs> yeah, and it should be noted, too, that this complaint is specifically regarding the night of August 11th. So this isn't when they were confronted by, like, the Black Bloc or anything. This is just them going against that group of, like, two dozen college kids. Yeah, just like the people who surrounded them. Which, if you guys remember those pictures, it was like, it really was like, it was, it was, they were surrounded by tiki torch-bearing Nazis. And that's, that's the people they're suing. <laughs> Well, they, they, you know, we, we went through the whole complaint and the exhibits. And what I find so strange is, you know, there's tweets and sort of screen grabs of YouTube videos and all kinds of things appended to this. But appended to the very end are two pictures of Cantwell macing these people. Um, <laughs> which, right. though, it's, though it's very important from the complaint that it's all like the complaint. Every paragraph has like a timestamp. And like I said, the glasses really matter because I guess one of the things that one of the one of the defendants told the police when he signed out a complaint was that his glasses had been knocked off and then he got maced and he couldn't see anything. And the complaint really spends a lot of time sort of identifying that in all of the videos throughout almost the entire interaction the guy's glasses were clearly on and it was a different person. Like Cantwell's like, I'll tell you who I maced and it wasn't glasses, dude. And, the identifiers, right? I think and so it's like, shout out it's like too. he's copping to a different crime, but it's self, but he, you know, framing it as self-defense and the entire complaint. And I got to say, like, you know, taking all of the things is true beyond the sort of wackadoo language. He basically says that, you know, the whole thing is two guys identified me and decided after the fact to lie and say, I'm the guy who hit them. Somebody hit them, but it wasn't me. And they lied and said it was me. And I ended up spending 100 days in jail because of it. And so that's why he's suing them. It, but it wasn't like, two guys. It was a guy and a woman, specifically uh, Emily Gorchensky. If you follow her on Twitter, you should. Uh, but uh, another thing to note 
is that uh, his lawyer specifically, intentionally, and purposefully misgenders Emily throughout the entire complaint. Oh uh, my God. Because Emily's huh. a trans woman. And uh, so, fuck you, fill my hole, eat my ass, motherfucker, fuck you. <laughs> All legal jargon. Yeah. Come <laughs> Wyoming, I'll punch you in the goddamn jaw. Motion to have you eat my hole. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's important, um, I think, to track all the different parties in the complaint and the important persons, persons and entities. Um, they include people like Beanie Man, who is an adherent of Antifa. Um, Underslaves, another inherent of Antifa. Um, and there's also uh, another nemesis of Cantwell is called Wheelchair. Right. <laughs> there's Dragon Arm, I believe. There's Sensitive Dragon as Arm, always. Um, is one of yes, the- Dragon Arm. Uh, one of my favorite things in this complaint is that he describes Antifa as an organization. And let me see. Uh, it's exi- ah, Here we go. Paragraph 8. Antifa is an organization of communists, socialists, and anarchists who seek to overthrow the Constitution of the United States. Which, <laughs> nice. first of all, I just want to say, you're not wrong. I hate the Constitution. But uh, Antifa is an organization. Right. Well, it's headed by Muhammad Markstein, as far as I was led to believe, by a certain Antifa, documentation I saw on Twitter. Like, and, and so obviously, uh, with, with a, a whopper of a statement, like, Antifa is an organization, which, no, it fucking is an idiot. Um, but, all right, he has attached Exhibit F. And there's actually two Exhibit Fs. There's F1 and F2. <laughs> F1 is a screenshot of, of a Christopher Matthias tweet, and I don't know who that is. He's a, Oh, he's a HuffPo reporter. And it's just a screenshot of a video. So it's a screenshot of a video of a tweet. Uh, and it just says, <laughs> and Antifa is here. And there's a video of people who are not in Black Block. They, they're not. Yeah, and they're they no holding a banner. On. They have no masks on. You can see their fucking faces. Uh, yeah. And they're just holding a banner that clearly says "No fascist scum," and that's Antifa. Okay, F two. That is, in fact, the uh, entire Antifa Constitution. Yes. F, yeah. No fascists. Uh, <laughs> F two is the full page flyer that the fucking Avakianists put in about November fourth in the New York Times. <laughs> I'm fucking serious about this. They ruin Ex- everything. Exhibit F two is his proof that Antifa is an organization that seeks to overthrow the Constitution is the bullshit evacuationist cult refuse fascism thing that everyone thought was like, oh, they're going to kill all the white parents on November 4th, which... I hope Elmer <laughs> subpoenas Chairman Bob. <laughs> he should! <laughs> I mean, can we throw him under the bus here? This might be the way to get rid of Chairman Bob. Yeah, fuck you, to- Chairman yeah. Bob. How do you, like, it's your fault that, like, a judge in Virginia is actually going to say, oh, yeah, Antifa is an organization. God damn God it. Incorporated in Delaware uh, <laughs> for, the for tax favorable purposes. tax purposes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like, I can't, I, the, the, the screenshot of the video in a tweet is still blowing my mind. Like, yes. just, I can't imagine why you would, and it doesn't chef, prove anything. It's so chef st- kissing fingers emoji on that one. It's. Um, if you want screenshots of uh, tweets, this is just going to be a teaser for an upcoming episode. Yeah, I mean we'll be uh, we'll be cutting down the tall trees. I hate to I hate to be the guy, but you know, uh, somewhere in here, uh, besides the fact that there's literally no uh, discernible case against uh, Grichensky and Goad, from what I can tell. Uh, is the fact that this guy was held for 107 days for mazing somebody. 
Should have been longer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, though it's funny they'll never get it. Dis- they'll never get it dismissed before uh, before discovery, and I think he's gonna regret. <laughs> he is going to regret uh, starting down a road where he has to uh, provide discovery to the other side. Um, you know, like I think he's like is probably going to be really thrilled when the case isn't thrown out because the rules say that all inferences are made in his favor. You know, before discovery is conducted, just the basic motion to dismiss rules. Right. A well-pleaded complaint will be read as if everything in it is true. And assuming everything in it is true, he's basically just alleging that three, that a couple of people ginned up a complaint and knowingly and intentionally for, falsely identified him uh, as the person who attacked them and harmed them, even though they both knew that they started it and knew that it wasn't him who hit them anyway. Uh, like, assuming all of those things are true, he probably will not get the complaint dismissed. You know, they probably won't get the complaint dismissed because being held without bond for 107 days for committing a violent assault on people is, uh, you know, exactly the kind of thing that uh, you would expect, um, that you would expect to be sued over. Well, <laughs> so, it's not just the assault. I mean, because he did, uh, he he helpfully attached the pictures of him macing people. <laughs> That's what <laughs> I love about this. <laughs> so it's not just the assault. He also, I mean, he was one of the principal architects of this rally. Like the Unicorn Riot uh, exposés have been. Like he he got Heather Heyer killed. Rest in power. Like that's yeah. like he's a. He's a fucking murderer. So I yeah, cry me yeah. some tears. I, I'm not saying he's going to win the case. I'm saying he's going to win if they bring a motion to dismiss. The, you know, yeah. he. I think he would very easily win that. Yeah, he, there might it need was, to be some discovery. Yeah, this is um, this is actually trailing um some like criminal litigation against him. And so one of the the um for the prong of the pleading where he says that um there had been a charge against him that had been. Um, resolved in a matter uh, not hostile to him. Um, basically, what it looks like what the Commonwealth's attorney did is they they changed the pleading against him from the specific uh, allegation that he had uh, maliciously harmed Korchensky and Goad um, and charged him instead with illegal use of gas, uh, malicious. <laughs> Uh, so that's he's still got those two charges pending against him. For what? For just spraying randomly into a crowd, basically? Illegal use of gas malicious. Oh, are we talking about Christopher Cantwell or are we talking about my wife, folks? Oh, oh. This, this episode's going to require a lot of editing, uh, thanks <laughs> to that joke. <laughs> um, so at, and and at that uh, bond hearing, so we had uh, you know we talked about how he'd been held for 107 days. I think part of the why he'd been held for so long is that Elmer Woodard, uh, representing him at the bond hearing, um, claimed that Chris Cantwell was just a shock jock. Uh, he compared him in his role as a podcast host of the Radical Agenda to uh, noted Jewish comedian Jackie Mason. Uh huh. Um, and he tried to object to 
the use of the Vice News documentary and Canwell himself saying, I think Heather Heyer's death was more than justified um, <laughs> by saying that the video of his client speaking was hearsay. <laughs> <laughs> you can't I use mean, my own words against me. Right. You can't prove that I, I mean, said. look, we're not admitting them for their truth. Yes. <laughs> we are admitting them for the fact that he said them. <laughs> wow, that joke is really going to land with our lay listenership. Yes. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's a legal definition of hearsay, nothing funnier. Perfect. Yep, but it's true. <laughs> it, but it's like, but it's it's a funny use of hearsay, and mm-hmm. you know, for uh, for the defense, because it's only it's only you can only hold it against him if. Uh, but he's a pig, and I'm like, I am glad that he was in jail for 107 days, no matter what else happens. <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing every time he's every time it came up in the complaint. <laughs> <laughs> you just thought about it again just now. Yep. So, um, you know, I, I think we've we've decided that we want to try to uh, use this last segment uh, and use uh, issue some rulings or predictions. Uh, does anyone think that uh, uh, Cantwell has a case uh, here against Skorchensky and Goad? No. <laughs> I mean, I I think he has a better case than I think other people do, but I haven't, like, I don't, the way he, I think, characterizes Goad in particular uh, as kind of waffling on what he told the police and the whole glasses sequence, there may be something there, I don't know. Like I don't think it's I don't think it's total bullshit, but I also don't think it'll go particularly far. Uh, I also don't think he will be at all <laughs> a sympathetic uh, plaintiff. No. Uh, oh, but... that's another thing. Um, at the very end of the complaint, um, I think one of my actually maybe my favorite part is that it it signs off with uh, a jury demand. <laughs> 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 Who told him that was a good idea? Roll yeah. the dice and go for the Nazi judge. Yeah, I think I think uh, I think he's going to say that a jury of his peers requires that all of the jurors be Nazis. That's right. <laughs> oh God, I can't. It's gonna be it's gonna be quite the motion practice when Godin Gorchinsky say that a jury of their peers requires that it all be black block. Well, does anybody know? Are they are they do they have uh, pro pro bono representation or are they gonna have to shell out a pocket for this? Because this is, as you say, probably going to at least escape uh, an initial motion to dismiss, meaning discovery and expense. So this isn't uh, immaterial to them. I don't know. I don't even know if, like, they've been served. Like, are they from the Charlottesville area? Yes. Yeah. At least Emily is. Uh, Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's possible they've already been served. And it's... It, it sucks. You you he- like hearing about the wins. You like hearing that J20, the first five defendants, got off. Um, but it is, I mean, uh, we did create this whole expensive bureaucracy of people that are the only ones qualified to sign things in court. So, I mean. Yes. Us. Yeah, yeah us. Yeah, pay us. Yes, we rule. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> 
I don't know, man. Milo is apparently going it alone. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's another yeah. episode, though. Okay, all right. Yeah, we'll save. We'll save the Milo roast for later. Uh, goofy. All right. All right. So, uh, thank you to everyone uh, who came on uh, the podcast today. Adam at Ale Le Boulet, uh James at J M Laroc, uh, Tarek at Mementions, uh, Stefan at Stefan underscore BC. And me, at you Garls, Charles Starr. Have a good day, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Bye, folks. This monitor's a right with petition. I'm the philosophy. Is your life worth a painting? Is this girl versus boy with different symbols? Being bored is power. Scout leader, Nazi tag, this big scene. Your risk change me hostage. Me, I'm fighting with my I must look like a dork. Me naked with textbook poems, bout bout against the Nazis. The weird kind of sex symbol. It's peaches that are big dance thugs. If we heard more to shells, we cuss more in our songs and cut down the guitar solos. So dig this big crux. Organizing the boys, but their murder is wrong. Ten years beyond the big sweat boy. Man, it was still there ever without you. Coming back around, look, we're coming together for just a second. A peek, a guess. At the wholeness, it's way too big. At the wholeness, it's way too big. <laughs>